You say, Ruth, yeah, Ruth. You know, it's uh, going into this Christmas season. A lot of times we just go straight to the Christmas story. We go to Matthew, we go to Luke, we go to one of those passages of Scripture, maybe Isaiah chapter 6, chapter 9, maybe go to Genesis chapter 49, all these places you can find the Christmas story where you look. It's found all throughout Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Daniel chapter uh, 12. I mean, you got all these places where you can go, but in the book of Ruth, we, we come to a place called Bethlehem, what they were singing about. I couldn't help but to resist to preach the message here for this morning and uh, letting our place, letting this place, letting your home be a Bethlehem. We find Ruth chapter 1 in the Old Testament comes right after the book of Judges, a time of dark times where every man was doing right, which was right in his own eyes. And then Ruth seems to appear out of nowhere. It's like Ruth is sort of like that diamond in the rough. It's that little shiny thing that uh, in the midst of all the darkness that seemed to cloud and obscure the light of day in the book of Judges. And there's a little hope that comes up out of this. And we see uh, a lady by the name of Ruth, and we'll find out that she's in the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. And amazing, uh, th- this how all this comes together. And only God could do something, uh, what we find here in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, we're going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to jump down to verse 16. Ruth chapter 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons, and the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, uh, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Down to verse 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee. Her husband has passed away. Ruth has lost everything. She's going back to Bethlehem. Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And so she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her. Then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. But it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? She said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And I went out full, and the Lord had brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord had testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned. Ruth the Moabitess and her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi and the kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go into the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said, Go, my daughter. 
She went and came and gleaned in the field after her reapers, and her hap was the light of the part of the field belonging to Boaz, and it was of the kindred of Elimelech. Verse 16 is the last. Chapter 2, verse 16. It says, And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. I just love that passage. I couldn't help but throw that in there, so that's, that's free. But let me pray, and we'll get into the message for this morning. Heavenly Father, help our hearts and minds to be still. Lord, there is such a great opportunity before us. Lord, we are blessed. Lord, we have these handfuls of purpose that we are able to partake in. Lord, we are glad for those you've brought together for this time and let our hearts and minds be steadfastly fixed on you, the God who gives us all things, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. And I'm persuaded this morning that this story pertains to us, Lord. I believe that there are some Naomi's who have gone out of the way and, uh, Lord, have maybe gone too far into places where they shouldn't have gone. Maybe there's some people who are like Ruth and lost and undone and without a Savior. Lord, help us come to the place of Bethlehem, a place where we see blessing, a place where David will be brought from, the king, a place where the Lord Jesus Christ will be born, a wonderful place. Lord, help us to honor you with our obedience to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's amazing how fast that uh, the seasons are going, and I told you, you know, if you just blink, all of it will be gone, you know. We had just left the Thanksgiving season and already stepping into Christmas, and this morning I admittedly confess to you that this is not necessarily a, a Christmas message that we might expect, but though I do believe that this is a Christmas message by proxy uh, of association because of Bethlehem and what Bethlehem means and out of this comes an old, old story that we might be familiar with just a little bit. I love Bethlehem in the Bible. I love the fact that, uh, you know, I can live in Bethlehem. I love the fact that I can preach about Bethlehem. And it's a wonderful place. It's a place where, again, the Savior was born. Of course, I don't believe that it's like several pictures you find in some Catholic churches. You know, you have Mary that's holding the little baby Jesus, and they seem to want to worship uh, little Mary, but yet, uh, or, or little Jesus and Mary at the same time. Mary is not to be worshipped. It says when the wise men come in Matthew chapter 2 that when they come to the place where Jesus is, in the house where he is, that they fall down and worship him and not Mary. You'll never find a place in the Bible where they ever worship Mary. And you also see the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore. He is risen again from the dead. But nonetheless, it is a wonderful, wonderful story about our, our Savior. And it comes back to his very, very beginnings. And I hope that we can make our homes of Bethlehem, a place where we can find refuge and truth. And just as Naomi is able to come back to this place, a place that seemed to be, a, a you know, the, the name itself means a house of bread. It's supposed to be a place of, of plenty. It's supposed to be a place of abundance. It's supposed to be a place where God is blessing. God is there. God would bring his people into this place. This is the 
place where they would set, make their home permanently, and God would set His name close by in, Ju- in Jerusalem and Judah, and set up His temple, and people would go, and they would go and worship at these places. But Naomi didn't find it a place of blessing. She didn't find it. There, there was much to be desired. A famine was in the land, I believe, because of their hearts. Many of the people, their hearts were turned away from God. They weren't worshiping God. They didn't love God as they should have. Instead of being a place of blessing, you can name any place what you want to name it. The name doesn't mean anything if you're not going to be obedient to what it, the, the true meaning is. And, and they found instead of a place of blessing and plenteous and Blessing, I know I used that word quite a bit already, okay. They found it to be hard, difficult. They found the famine in the land. You find not only Bethlehem, but the other name associated with it. They said they came from Bethlehem, Judah. Judah is a name that means praise. Shouting, singing, rejoicing. Celebration, such as a time you would think of Christmas. I mean, it's supposed to be anticipation and excitement because God is there. But instead of shouting, instead of celebration, instead of love, instead of joy, we find a place of just great poverty and, and hardship. They've lost their joy. They've lost their praise. They, they're no longer singing the praises of God as a place of pain for them instead. And so there's this time of confusion in which this, this Ruth comes out of this, again, great darkness that is going on. And Naomi and her, her husband named Elimelech, his name means that God is king. And instead of looking to God as the king, as the leader, and letting him make the direction of their own home, what does Elimelech do? He goes, instead of letting God determine where he's going to live, what he's going to do, how he's going to lead his family. He looks on the other side of the fence, and of course the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. That's what they always say, right? And he looks on the other side and says, well, God's not in Bethlehem anymore. God's in Moab. We're going to go to Moab. This is where we're going to go. And God stops being the king of that family. God stops being the director of that family, the guide of that family. And they start going just as in the period of judges doing what is right in their own eyes. Naomi, whose name means pleasant, it's a a name that means to, to please. And instead of pleasing God with her works and her way of life and being honorable, we find that she does the complete opposite. What would please God, which would be obedience? She she lives in disobedience. And they're going to Moab to to set up their dreams. This is going to be the place where they're going to set down their roots. They have little children. They're going to find wives there in the land of Moab. And guess what they have to do in order to get to Moab? They have to go against everything that they know of God's blessing. On their way to Moab, they have to cross by a place called Jericho. You know what happened to Jericho, don't you? They circle around the walls seven days, and after seven days, the walls come tumbling down. God brings it a great victory. They have to pass by that place, where a place where they know God had brought them into this land. They have to cross over the Jordan River, a place at one time God had shown His faithfulness and divided the waters. And they, of course, they had the pillar of twelve stones set up to remember what God had done in bringing them into the land. They have to cross through that and just turn their back on God's faithfulness, turn their back on God's victory, turn their back on what God has done for them. 
as they make their way to Bethlehem, a place to a people where God says, don't have anything to do with the people of Moab in Deuteronomy chapter 23. And they deny everything that they know about God to get there. That's amazing to me that people who have saw God do great things, great victories, bless them in mighty ways, turn their back on all that just to go the way that they want to go. And there are Christians that do that. And they go into the land of Moab in a place that they are not supposed to be associating with. Naomi endures Moab for years and years, and she loses everything. And the place is supposed to be blessing, and a place where they say, well, God's going to be in Moab. He's not in Moab. Has to turn their back and lose everything. And they endured for years and years and years. Long enough, at least, for her children to take wives and, and to lose them. Or, or take husbands. Yeah, they took wives, but they lost their husbands. I see Ruth. Not just Naomi, who goes in with Elimelech and with her two children, and they go into the land of, of Moab. But now I look and I see Ruth here in this story. We know a little bit about what the Bible says about Moab. Moab uh, was, has its beginning in uh, intoxication and incest. And, of course, remember Lot and his daughters and Moab as a result of that. It's not a place known for, uh, for a good beginning is what I'm trying to say. Moab is known for the immorality. Remember when uh, Israel is coming through the wilderness and they get to the place of Moab and, and there's a, a prophet who's called to curse the land of Israel and he says, I can't do it. I can't go beyond the word of God. And he says, this is what you need to do. You need to convince your people to go down with their people and, and let them worship your gods and let them be joined together. And there was a great curse brought upon the people of Israel for that. There was immorality. There was idolatry. The Bible says in Numbers 25, verse 1, And Israel abode in, in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom of the daughters of Moab, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down their gods, and bowed down to their gods, and Israel joined himself to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. They were known for their insolence and refusing. God's ways, they were known for their, their indulgence. And that's what they wanted. That's what Naomi thought she was going to get. That's what Elimelech thought he was going to get. This is the place of Moab by which Ruth arises out. She would be an unusual character. She would be like a, an Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. She would be something completely different, but it takes a time for this to happen, for her to come and recognize that what is going on in Bethlehem, we don't have this in Moab. We don't have a God like they have in Israel. We don't have hope like they have in Israel. God doesn't come and visit our people. We have to go and bow down ourselves. We got to debase ourselves. We got to humiliate ourselves in Moab. We don't have what you have in, in Bethlehem. I want Bethlehem. I want that God. I want those people to be my people. The 
Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I wish that Naomi would have recognized that before she went into Moab. But even in the place of disobedience, somehow or another, even in a place of hardships, even in a place of struggle and trial and trouble, even, even in our worst days, it's just amazing to me that God can bring grace out of a bad situation and, and completely transform families to the grace of God. You can live uh, uh, you know, in, in sin, but if you turn to God, He is able to bless you in ways in which you cannot imagine. This is what we find here, the story of Naomi and Ruth and what we have here. So praise God for, for what he can do with our carnal living, our sin, our mistakes, whatever you want to call it. But maybe here this morning, maybe you're like Naomi. And again, you don't have to be a lady to be qualified to be in the place of a Naomi. Maybe this morning as a result of carnal living and getting away from God, you look on the other side of the fence, you say, the grass is greener, I want to go over here. And you, you've turned your back on all the places of God's victory and all the places of God's blessing and God's faithfulness. And you went in knowing full well that you're not supposed to be there. Maybe this morning, God can turn you around and bring you back to a Bethlehem where you used to be at a place where you say, God has dealt very bitterly with me, but you go in and you see God's faithfulness back in Bethlehem. Or maybe you're like Ruth, and you say, I'm lost and undone. I'm, I'm without Christ. I don't know the Savior. and I've, he, he has not been my personal Savior. He has not been in my life, but I want what Bethlehem has. I want God. People will ask, why should I come to Bethlehem? Why should I come to Bethlehem? Because the Lord is there. And that's what I see. The Lord is there. Why should you come to Bethlehem? Because the grace of God is there. Why should you come to Bethlehem? Because the blessings of God are there. Because God's not going to bless your disobedience. And He's not going to bless your rebellion. And he's not going to bless your sinfulness and your iniquity. But I do read in the Bible that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. When we get to this place of obedience, God is able to, to bring grace into our lives and bring blessing and show himself strong on our behalf. And we just need to get back to this place of Bethlehem and let our church be a place of Bethlehem for somebody this morning. And let our homes be a place of Bethlehem for all those who will come to our house, maybe for a Christmas season, maybe for a Christmas meal. And they hear what's going on in your life and they say I want that the first thing that I want to draw your attention to is found in chapter 1 and verse 6 where it says uh, this let me turn back over there chapter 1 verse 6 it says then she arose with her daughter-in-laws and that she might return for the country of Moab here it is for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. The Lord is there. The Lord had visited his people. If you didn't grow up, again, if you didn't grow up in church or in a situation like this, you would maybe not recognize what Naomi recognized. 
But she had knew the Lord's blessing in, in, in times past, and she knew what she had wasn't exactly uh, what she used to have. And, and the fact where, where she was, and she thought she was going to be blessed, everything was taken away. It got worse for her the place of Moab than it did better. And she remembered the goodness of her God. And she recognized that when the blessings came and the barley harvest was in full, this wasn't some sort of happenstance. This wasn't some sort of circumstance. This wasn't an accident. This was God's doing because she had left it. And famine, but now it's full. There are people who do not know God's goodness, and it's unfortunate. And they grow up in places where they don't know the, the truth of what we see in Bethlehem. There are Buddhists around the world and they fall down and they worship idols. And in sincerity, they'll go through their prayer beads and they'll go through everything that they have to do in order to get their God to listen to them. And He never does listen. And he never does answer the way that they want him to answer. See, the Hindus, and they go and they worship these cows. I'll never understand that, but if they don't want their cows, I'll have a hamburger, I'll have a steak. But they worship these cows and all these other things. Other cultures have many gods, and they don't, they don't see exactly the same thing that Naomi sees because she recognizes, she knows who her God is. She just turned her back on her. There's a lady, Ruth, she, she knows that she didn't have what, what Naomi and what her sons have talked about. She didn't have what Bethlehem has. She grew up worshiping all these, the gods of Chemosh and uh, uh, some of the, Baal and some of the other ones that they worship. They would offer up their, their only children. They would put their firstborn there upon the altar and hear the cries and the screams and all to appease their God. And, and I know that she says, we don't have what you have over in Bethlehem. I'd rather have a God like that. I don't want a God like Greek mythology that, that is just as sinful as we are, that has just the same uh, uh, sinful um, propensity that we have. I want something that's, that's, I want a God who is strong. I want a God who is able. I want a God who is knowledgeable. I want a God who can take care of me. I want a God who can hear me. I want a God who knows all about me and the struggles that I go through in this life. I want one who can be there with me. I want a God who says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what I want. And Ruth didn't know a God like that. But she knew that she, she knew that she wanted something like that in her life. The atheists today say there is no God. You can't touch him, you can't see him, you can't hear him, and there's no proof that there is a God that exists. And science is the only explanation for everything, is what they say. And yet their science wouldn't work if there was no God. Isn't that amazing? The very laws of science that they are trusting in proves that there's a God. And yet they fail to acknowledge it. You tell an atheist that God would visit his people and they would laugh at you in your face. But do you realize there's no peace in those broken systems of religion? No peace in atheism, no peace in Hinduism, no peace in uh, Buddhism, no peace in uh, Catholicism, no peace in any of these things. But they can have peace in God. 
We have all wrestled with those things. We were all born into this world of sin, shaping and iniquity. David says that life of sin is all that he knew from a child on up. Uh, Paul writes that we've all walked according to the course of this world under the control of the prince of the power of the air who has blinded the minds of them that are lost. And listen, we've all been there. We've all done it. We've all got the t-shirt. We've all done something wrong. We've all lived a life of sin. We've all had the scars, uh, maybe not in your body, but in your conscience and in your mind, and you know what it was like. I praise God for the children who have been saved at five and six years old. I pray that's the case for my children. We don't bear the scars that me and Sarah have had to bear. And they don't really truly understand or able to appreciate the greatness of it. But yes, we've all done it. We've all went our own way. We've all been blinded by, our minds been blinded by the devil. But something happens here in the book of Ruth. Naomi and I believe the daughters-in-law as well. They hear how God has visited his people and this is a turning point in their life. And they, they recognize that they can no longer stay here and be blessed. They're not willing to lose anything else out of their life. They're not willing to suffer through another death in the family. All it was is just Naomi and her daughter-in-laws that were left. They weren't willing to go through another heartache. They said enough is enough, and they had enough time trying to live in this disobedience and doing it their own way according to their own eyes. Verse 8 says, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-laws, God returned, uh, said unto her daughter, let me read it out of the Bible, verse 8, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house, The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Sounds innocent enough. Being in Moab was, for so long as warped her understanding of God. Talking about Naomi. Warped her understanding of God. She'd been there so long she tried to convince herself that God was there. Tried to convince herself that God's blessings were there. The marriage of a woman usually implied uniting herself to the religion of her husband, and so by association, Ophrah and Ruth, they would uh, naturally be associated into the religion of Melon and Chilion, and, and they would think to herself, well, well, God would be their God, but then when they go back and their husbands died, they would go back to the old gods that they used to serve. To be married would be to say, my husband's faith is my faith, and it's all external to them. And then turning back to Moab would imply that they were no longer bound to that faith, but Naomi's simple understand, simply understood theology was that the Lord was the one true God, and they reigned not only in Israel, but he could reign in Moab as well. He could reign there in, in Moab where she was. And that's why she says that God has dealt very bitterly with her when she goes back to Bethlehem. But God was not in Moab. And just because you're in a marriage relationship doesn't mean that that faith is is true. They got to put their faith and trust in God Almighty and allow Him to bring forgiveness and healing and truth to allow Him to transform everything about them. Listen, I find that the Bible is so amazing when I look at what's going on here in Bethlehem and what goes on in the Bible, even in the Christmas stories. And I'll probably preach on this a little bit more in some other time. But 
I, I look at what's going on in, in, in the New Testament there. And people had the opportunity to turn to Jesus, and it could have been much different for Herod, though he would never turn to, uh, to allow Jesus to be the king of Israel. It was a threat to his reign. He would never allow that. It was dark in the times of, of Bethlehem during those times. Think about Mary and her dreams coming unraveled and before her eyes. And Joseph, who's supposed to have a chaste uh, virgin to be his wife, and now all of a sudden she's with child, and he just went against his dreams. And, but when he recognizes what God was doing in his life, he's able to uh, really take what was a hardship in his life and make it a dream come true because he was able to live in the same house as Jesus. God was not in Moab. God was not in their disobedience. And can I say this? We must exchange the lies of Moab for the truth in God's word. So many times we, we believe in the lies of the devil. We, we allow the devil to convince us of what uh, we think is true. We try to justify our actions and we say, well, we're really not all this bad. Remember the children of Israel going through Egypt is that Egyptian mentality in the back of their minds. Instead of following and believing God, they are trying to live according to the Egyptian way of life. We got to get rid of all that Egyptian theology and all the Moab theology and all that bad theology out of our life because it didn't serve us well in Moab. Recognize the truth for what it is. I'm the one that was wrong. It's me. It's my choices. It's what I've done. It's not what God has done. It's what I've done. I've made a choice. When Naomi heard that God had visited his people and sending them bread and great harvest, she was thinking, God must be there now. But can I say this? God doesn't change. God was always in Bethlehem. I, I look and I see what's going on with Boaz, and he's a great husbandman there in the land, has great farms, and he's doing well, and he was prosperous. I don't think that just happened overnight. I think that God was always blessing us. It just wasn't the way that they liked it. God was always with His people. He's always been faithful to His people. The fact that Israel is still in existence today is proof that God's always been faithful to us. We've just been unfaithful to Him. God doesn't change. And He's not going to bless our disobedience. It's evident that God wasn't the one who left Bethlehem. Who was the one that left Bethlehem? It was Naomi. It was Elimelech. It was Malon, it was Chilean. They, they were the ones who left Bethlehem. God didn't move, God didn't change. He's always been the same, He's always been faithful. we got to get back to the place where God is. we got to get back to the place of obedience. It's evident that God didn't leave Bethlehem, but it was Naomi. God doesn't have to come back to us, we got to go back to Him. But for Ruth, for Ruth, the gods of Moab didn't do what the gods of Israel did. Their gods were not so pure. They didn't deal so kindly with the people. Women were not given the same respect that they were given in Israel. Or that we get out of Christianity today. You go over to the land of Israel, you go over where Hamas and all that is, you see that they don't treat women the way that we treat them today. You go over to some of these Middle East countries, Islam doesn't treat women as good as what Christianity, what Christ treats women today. 
There's a great contrast between Moab and Bethlehem. Ruth says, I want to know more about Bethlehem. I want to know more about this God who has visited his people. Our gods don't visit us. I want to go to a place where God is visiting his people and blessing abundantly. And so it's amazing that Naomi leaves Bethlehem out of disobedience. But Ruth goes to Bethlehem by what? Faith. She goes to Bethlehem by faith. The way that we come to God is by faith. One of the things that you're going to hear this Christmas season is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 69, where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The horn of salvation, of course, referencing Christ and how he will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back someday. We celebrate his first coming, but he's coming back again. The fact that he was faithful to the first coming and fulfilling all the prophecies can give us reassurance that he's coming again. Yes, over 2,000 years ago, God visited his people. But can I say this? He could visit us today. Visited Pentecost with revival. I believe he could visit us with revival as well. God took on human flesh. And he came and he dwelt among us. He saw what we were dealing with in this life. Listen, we, we talk all about politics and politicians and these things. Uh, it goes far deeper. Sin goes far deeper than that. It goes deep down into the heart and into the lives of every single individual alive today. And there was no other answer fix this problem that you and I are dealing with, fix sin, than to send His only begotten Son into this world to save us from sins. You don't have to go to Bethlehem to know His love for us. You can experience it here this morning, right here, right now. I tell people all the time when I grew up, my dad was a churchgoer, but my parents were divorced when I was five years old, about the same time that Elijah is, is now. He's five, and my upbringing was, was not the greatest. My dad wasn't a perfect dad. By the way, I'm not a perfect dad either. Mom didn't take us to church. He did take us to church every other weekend kind of thing. and well, Always a different church. One time it might be a Baptist church. Another time it might be a Lutheran church. Another time it might be a Pentecostal church. Mostly stuck to non-denominational or Baptist churches. Mostly that's where we were. I've seen a lot of emotionalism over the time and just people get all caught up in their emotions and when they feel good they're drawn and they say, I want to be there because it makes me feel good. I want something that's true no matter what, no matter what my emotions tell me. My emotions lie to me. can't say that I knew in those churches that my dad brought me to when I was younger that the Lord was there. But can I say this morning, I can testify to the fact of what I see going on in this church. The Lord is here. When I read in the Word of God how He's visited His people, the Lord is here. You can be in any part of the world, you can be in any situation, you can recognize that the Lord is here. I remember in August 8, 2007, when I 
was confronted with the fact and asked that question, Henry, do you know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven? And I said, Miss Trudy, I don't know. Somebody take that Bible and show him. He says, you know, if you want to know how to get to heaven, let me show you how. And he opened the Bible and he took me down the Romans road and, and, and he asked me if I wanted to be saved. And I said, yes, I want to be saved. And there on that night, there by my bed, I bowed my head and received Christ as my personal Savior. It wasn't because of who I was or what I've done or Anything like that, I wasn't even in the church service. But I know that he saved me. I know that he saved me. My admonition tonight is to make your place of Bethlehem where people can see that God is there. I like Ruth chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. I mean, that, that was something that you didn't hear over Moab, but here is Boaz, and he's been in Bethlehem, and he hasn't left, and the Lord's blessing was there, and he's calling out, the Lord bless thee. And what does that say? This is a place where God's presence is. This is a place where God's spirit is. These people were different than the people over in Moab. Uh, they're excited. I mean, they treat each other with respect. There's, there's morality here. There is life here. There is joy here. There is God here. There's God's presence here. But I see this next point that the grace of God is there. The grace of God is there. I find it interesting. We read chapter 1 and verse 16. I, I know I'm all over the place, so just forgive me for this. From the lips of Ruth, she says this. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people should be my people, and thy God, my God. What a great confession that was. She desired to find grace. She desired to find God. It's an amazing confession. Uh, when you really consider what Deuteronomy 23 says and about how uh, Moab was not to have any association, they were not even to be brought into the congregation of the children of Israel, but yet here is this Moabitess woman, and she comes in, and she is accepted among him. Why? Because of her confession. Why? Because she doesn't identify herself as a Moabitess anymore. She doesn't identify herself with the gods of Moab anymore, or the people of Moab anymore, or the family of Moab, or the ways of life of Moab. She's identifying herself with the people of God. She is truly turned and changed. It's not a contradiction to Scripture to see this Moabitess woman to come and into the nation of Bethlehem and be received and be accepted. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, he's not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. So we notice in Ruth chapter 2, verse 2, Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean the ears of the corn in whom, and after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said, go, said unto her, Go, here is my daughter. She goes from being a Moabitess, at the beginning of the verse, Ruth the Moabitess, to no longer be in a Moabitess, but a, her daughter. My daughter. You know what grace will do for you? 
It'll take you from being where who you once were to being somebody different. There's a lot of things you could say about me what I once was. Things I will not even mention this morning, okay? But there's a place, there's a person who I used to be, but under grace, it's not what I used to be, because I'm not that anymore. I've been saved by the grace of God. I'm now a new creature in Christ. I've been brought unto the family. I've been accepted into the beloved. I'm called the child of the God. Whosoever should receive him, he should be called the sons of God, not born of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men. It's not what we do. It's not what we think. It's, it's all of God. It's what he did for us. Ruth is doing something here. She's assimilating into the culture here in Bethlehem. She's becoming part of who they are. She's learning their God. She's learning their people. Uh, yes, you know, we, we are saved, but salvation takes a, a period of time. We, we're not just made perfect the moment we say, Lord, you're going to be my Savior. No, there are still things that God is cleaning up in our lives. Amen. She's assimilating here. She's being part of the people. She's being part of their worship. She's working with them. She's communing with them. She's purposefully adapting to the culture. Greece would take root from being a Moabite to a Bethlehemite. Is that how you pronounce it? This grace of God makes one thing clear. Ruth is not in Moab anymore. She's told by Boaz to go not to glean in another field. In other words, stay in this field. Belonging is important. A lot of people are looking for a place to belong. You know, it's, it's, <clears throat> sometimes they, people get the idea, you know, I don't want to come to church because I don't look the part, and I'm not dressed this way, and I'm not that way, and, you know, I, don't, I, you know, I got a lot of cleaning up to do. You'll never clean up your life enough. Uh, you come to church, you let God clean up your life. I've learned a long time ago, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I, I can't tell you what to do. It's the Holy Spirit working in you and through you to clean up your life. If you're doing it to please me, you're pleasing the wrong person. We're here to please God. But here, she's in this field, and she realizes that belonging is important. It's important for us to come to a church at a place where you can belong, in a place where you can see God's blessing, and you can uh, pray together, and you can cry together, and you can love each other. We can have fellowships, and we can have meals, but you need to come to a place where you can belong and be a part of what God is doing. It's critical to a life of a Christian to belong. remember going to Rhode Island years ago after Sarah and I first got married before we even had kids. It took me three years for me to even belong to a part of Rhode Island culture. I would show up at Brood Awakenings, a coffee shop, and I'd sit there in a the coffee shop waiting for somebody to talk to me. They didn't want anything to do with me. I didn't, I didn't look like them. I, I even practiced, this is what I did, I practiced saying the word coffee in, in the Rhode Island language, you know, and I'd practice on the way down the road for an hour. How do you say it again? Coffee. Coffee. I was like, uh, did I say it right? She says, well, you know, it's still a little bit of Southern in there. You got to change it this way. It's, it's coffee. I'm like, no, nah, I'm just forget about it. And I go up to the cashier and I, I try out my Rhode Island language and I just embarrass myself. She says, honey, just keep your mouth shut. I'll order for you. I said, okay. But I was looking for a place to belong. A place to belong. Grace will open up new places for you. 
a place for you to belong. It'll open up new places for you here. Anywhere else in the world, it's like, I will take care of you if you do this for me. And for any other place in the world, that's the way it works. You show up at work, and they say, I'll take care of you if you do this for me. I'll be your friend if you do this for me. If you watch my back, I'll watch your back. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. But here in Bethlehem, they didn't expect anything out of Ruth. They were able to be a blessing to her. She's told to drink water drawn by young men hired by Boaz. You just didn't do that. Remember from John chapter 4 where Jesus is going out to the women at the well and she says, what are you, a Jew, asking for water from me, a Samaritan woman? You know, it just didn't happen that way. Yes, women did draw water for the men usually, uh, but to different cultures and things like this. These are men drawing water for a lady who is not a Jewish lady at all, and yet this is accepted. This is grace. This is not the way that the culture is supposed to work, but yet it goes beyond that to show love and to show mercy and to show compassion. You know what Boaz is doing? He says, my water is your water. I'm going to take care of your needs. Boaz even says, you're under my protection. I'm not going to let anybody touch you. You stay in my field. You stay with my crew. You stay with my ladies. And I want to make sure nobody touches you. I want to take care of you. You're even going to sit at my table. And I want to feed you out of my own bread. Ruth's response is this. We find it in verse 10 of chapter 2. She says, Then fell she on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? That thou should take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband. And how thou hast left thy father and mother in the land of thy nativity are come unto a people that thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and the full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. This is grace to, to, to a great degree. Grace is not some abstract idea. It's not like... Um, it's not something, this, this is real. There's something behind it. Things happen because of grace. There's a change because of grace. Jesus went to an old rugged cross and paid your sin debt. That was grace. It was demonstrated. And grace needs to be demonstrated in our lives as well. There's so much I want to say. So much I want to say. But she ate bread with the reapers of Boaz's table. And we see here that uh, not only is there a new places for you to belong, a new peace in your being, but also a new personal relationship to build. And, and I see all of this coming out of here of this book of, of Ruth. We talk about just letting our place be a place of Bethlehem. Boaz is called a kinsman redeemer. The old life is completely gone, which leads to this next point. Uh, the Lord will do you good at Bethlehem. Let me just go into this last point. The Lord will do you good at Bethlehem. If there's going to be a Bethlehem, you must show the goodness of God. You must show the goodness of God. The Lord's hand is evident everywhere that you go. You read in the Old Testament of Joseph, and it says that the Lord was with him. It was just evident all over the life of Joseph. 
You see, in places where Jacob got right with the Lord after he went to Bethel and he offered up his sacrifices and the fear of the Lord was in all uh, uh, on, on the people of uh, Jacob and his family and people were scared to even touch him, you know. It's evident when God's hand is there, Bethlehem would be far different than it is in Moab. Our places, the way we live and the way we live our lives and the way we run our homes, things like that, it's different than the way that the world does things. It's worlds apart. Naomi had to realize that Moab was a decision of her own making. God was not in Moab. She thought she could enjoy life in a place of rebellion, but instead she found heartache. No good thing can come out of living in rebellion and defiance to God's will, but if we come back, God can do good to us there. Let me just make cut to the chase and make a long story short. Ruth comes in. She sees Boaz. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. They have uh, uh, an understanding there that, uh, of course, the kinsman redeemer, the rules of the land, it's there. and She recognizes that uh, he would take over the place of her husband. He goes to the gate. Of course, there's one of near kin and Boaz. And he, he uh, asks, he says, do you want to re- redeem the fields of, of Malon and Chilion and Naomi? Do, do, do you want this land? Do you want this field? And the day that you do, you also take on the obligation of being married to Ruth, the Moabite. And he says, no, I don't want that. And he goes and Boaz fulfills a part of the kinsman redeemer and they uh, are married and after they get married they have this child and it's amazing at the end we find over in Ruth chapter 4 where it says in uh, let us see verse uh, let me back up to verse 13 Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife and when he went in unto her the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son and the woman said unto Naomi blessed be the Lord which had not left thee this day without a kinsman that his name may be found in Israel. Guess what? If she would have stayed in Moab, none of this would have happened to the life of Naomi. If she would have stayed in Moab, she wouldn't have been able to see this, this relationship come together, this marriage, and see this child be born and to be a grandmother, and to see this lady, she will bear the uh, son of Jesse and then David and, and, and all through the line to see the grace of God where she would be the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at the genealogies of Jesus, you find in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, that the lady is mentioned by the name of Tamar. And when you look at the genealogy, you say, well, wait a minute. She's not a Jewish lady. That, that was not a blessed relationship. That's not supposed to happen. But yet she's in the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ because of her faith. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. You find a lady by the name of Rahab the harlot. You say, wait a minute, she's not supposed to be there. This is not supposed to work out that way. I mean, she, she was a harlot. She, she had a hard life. Yes, but she put her faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and was able to do amazing things. Ruth, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Bathsheba, Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. These ladies in the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ, these things were, were, were not supposed to happen this way. 
But God showed His grace in a miraculous way. These are rough backgrounds. These are people who lived rough lives. These are ladies who came to faith in God, received His grace. These are Gentiles who are now to the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ because God was able to do wonders. These are, as uh, Pastor Jay, who's now at home with the Lord, used to say to me and my wife, this before we were married, trophies of God's grace. Trophies of God's grace. God is so good to us. We don't deserve it. When it comes to Christmas, we don't merit it. The fact that God would send His Son Knowing the outcome, knowing that he would go to a cross. I didn't deserve that. Christmas is more than what we give it credit to. Sometimes we put in all these celebrations and all these decorations, but sometimes the greatest Christmas that we can have is right here in our hearts. When we bow our heads, and whether you receive them as your Savior, you say thank you. You say thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Again, she could never do that in Moab. Now she's trusting in a God under whose wings she's come to trust. Naomi was honored. Ruth was honored. God left her a kinsman. God gave her a daughter-in-law that loved her. God gave her a grandson who would be famous in Israel. God put her in the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. She never could have received that in Moab. I don't know where you are this morning. but Let me just say this. If you are like a Naomi, and you thought life was going to be better on the other side of the fence in Moab, as long as you stay in Moab, you're not going to have the blessings in Bethlehem. I mean, if you're a Ruth, and you see the greatness of God and what He's come to do, to die for you, to do for us things we've never deserved, not even for a moment. If we had what we deserved, we'd be burning in hell right now. But if we're a Ruth this morning, you're lost and undone, and without Christ, there is a God of Bethlehem who died for you wants to save you, wants to give you a place to belong, wants to change your everything, is your place of Bethlehem this morning with every bow and every eye closed.